0: If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you do, I invite you to take them and turn with me to the book of Psalms and to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. As you're aware, this week, we as a nation will celebrate Thanksgiving. And in doing so, we look back to the fall of the year 1621, when after a successful first harvest and after having survived a very difficult first year in a new land those first pilgrims who had come over from England in search of religious freedom and in search of the prospect of a new life in America they came together to celebrate with the local Indians who were in the area of Plymouth and they had a three day feast and That feast was organized by a man named William Bradford. Bradford had become Plymouth Colony's first governor. He was also a pastor. And his goal of this feast was so that it would be an expression of praise and thanksgiving to God for his faithfulness and his grace to those pilgrims. And it is this celebration and it is this feast that the, the Thanksgiving holiday was birthed out of. And, and it's the reason why we now celebrate it on the fourth Thursday of every November. And William Bradford was, was a known journalist. He was one who wrote a lot in a journal and, and kept uh, records of many things. And his journal was later turned into a book that was entitled of Plymouth Plantation. And here is, here is what he wrote. Uh, he said this, he says, May not... And ought not, the children of these fathers rightly say, Our fathers were Englishmen which came over this great ocean and were ready to perish in this wilderness. But they cried unto the Lord, and he heard their voice and looked on their adversity. Let them therefore praise the Lord because he is good and his mercies endure forever. Yes, let them which have been redeemed of the Lord show how he hath delivered them From the hand of the oppressor, when they wandered in the desert wilderness out of the way and found no city to dwell in, both hungry and thirsty, their soul was overwhelmed in them. Let them confess before the Lord his loving kindness and his wonderful works before the sons of men. Now, Bradford's words, as you will uh, no doubt notice when we get to reading into our psalm this morning came from Psalm 107. He quotes directly from that psalm and he found it to be helpful in offering thanks to God. Not not only for God's goodness and His mercy at the time of, of being able to celebrate that first harvest here in the New World, but Uh, Also in other ways, in fact, as one writer has put it, colonial life in these United States of America was rocked in the cradle of thanksgiving to the Lord. And that thanksgiving was instructed and guided by the word of God. As such, I believe Psalm 107 is, it remains to be a helpful guide even to us today. Not only as we approach the, the holiday season of thanksgiving, but also as we come to the Lord's table this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And honestly, I think Psalm 107 is instructive for us in how we ought to be thankful people, not just on special holidays and not just when we observe the Lord's Supper, but every day of our lives. I'm going to do things just a little different today than I normally do. Instead of reading the entire passage up front, I'm going to read it in sections. And I think reading it in sections will help us understand how the psalm was written and the purpose for each section as we go through it. And so I want to begin this morning by reading the first three verses, which really serve as an introduction to the entire psalm. So hear these words. Verse 1 says, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. Now, when you read these verses, they tell us, first of all, that it is the redeemed of God. It is is those who have been snatched, as it were, from the hand of the enemy, those who have been saved from their ultimate ruin. Um, Those are the people that ought to be the most thankful. And based upon what these first three verses tell us, I want you to note the first point on your outline. They really communicate something important to us. It tells us that the redeemed should be those who praise and thank God. It is the redeemed of the Lord who ought to be the most vocal in their praising and in their thanksgiving to God. And notice that for which the redeemed ought to be thankful. These verses tell us we ought to be thankful for His mercy as the New King James has translated it, or as the NIV translates it, for his love, or even as the ESV puts it, for his faithful, steadfast love. In the Hebrew, the the beautiful word used there is the word hesed. That's a Hebrew word that's used over 250 times throughout the Old Testament, and it speaks of the special covenant faithfulness and favor that the Lord shows to his people. And so in light of this introductory call to praise, it really begs a question that every one of us in this room really needs to, to ask ourselves, and that is this. Are you among the redeemed? Is your testimony that God has delivered you from your sin? That, that He has gathered you, as verse 3 indicates, from your aimless wanderings and and? and As James Boyce has put it, have you now become part of God's well-loved, well-grounded, and well-established covenant people? Listen, I want you to know that if you cannot honestly answer those questions with an affirmative answer, then the most important thing that I can say to you today is that God offers you forgiveness and redemption and deliverance if you will place your faith in him. The Bible declares that all who will come to him by faith, he will in no wise cast out. And I hope that you will, over the course of this service today and over the course of of this week, as, as our nation's thought processes, even though all of the advertisements are going to point you to Black Friday and to all the sales that are there, I hope that you will allow the thought of thanksgiving. Just the name of that holiday, the name of that day when we celebrate God's goodness to us, allow that to generate within you the thought, what do I have to be thankful for and can I be thankful for the most important thing, that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior? If that is your testimony, then that you have been redeemed, then you cannot sidestep the clear call to praise for what God has done for you. According to psalm, giving thanks to the Lord and praising Him are the marks of those who belong to him. But let me also say to you that according to Romans chapter 1, refusing to do so is a mark of the unregenerate. Because those who are not redeemed of the Lord, they neither glorify God nor give thanks to him. That's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1. Now, all of that thought then leads me really to the second point. It's really a heading it's a question that I have posed for you. The second point on your outline is simply this. Whom does the Lord redeem? If the redeemed ought to be the ones who are the greatest praise givers and the greatest thanksgiving people there are, then who is it that the Lord redeems? That's an important question. And I want you to know that the psalmist answers that question in four distinct ways. He gives a picture of four groups of people that make up who it is that the Lord redeems. They're, they're different in many respects. Their circumstances are presented in different ways. But we all find common ground with them because they all ultimately were in need of the steadfast love and the mercy Of the Lord. And so I want us to look at each of those this morning. And the first one we're gonna see comes in verses four through nine. And so read those verses with me. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And He delivered them out of their distresses. And He led them forth by the right way. They, that they may, might go to a city for a dwelling place. And then the psalmist says this. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry soul with goodness. Now there's the first group that the psalmist describes in answering the question, who is it that makes up this redeemed people that ought to be so praising and so thanksgiving. Well, the first point that we note then there underneath that is that the Lord redeems, He saves lost and weary travelers in need of a guide. That's really what those verses tell us all about. You can understand why... Bradford would take those words and use them in accordance with the pilgrims when they came here, looking for a place to settle, looking for a home, looking for some kind of permanency. That's what they were looking for, and that's what these are looking for as well. The psalmist describes this group of people as wilderness wanderers, people people without a city, folks without a home, people who are hungry and yet thirsty, people who have lost hope. You just get the picture of someone who's looking for something that they cannot find. They're like nomads out in the desert that are plagued by the heat and by the dryness. And they keep searching and they keep looking for a city. They think it's coming and then they never find it. They keep looking for some sort of, some shadow that they can get underneath the, to get, uh, get, get help from the heat and from the, from the sun. But they can't find it. And this is a, a painful picture of what it means to be to live a life of desperation. But don't you to notice what happens. According to verse 6, those folks come to the end of themselves and then finally they cry out to the Lord for help because they've exhausted all of their own means of trying to, to save themselves. And the psalmist tells us that God hears their cry and then he delivers them from their certain doom. And then according to verse 7, the Lord begins to lead them along the right paths so that they can dwell in a city and that they can have shelter. And I want you to know that's what the Lord does. The Lord saves lost and weary travelers who are in need of a guide. What the psalmist gives us here is a picture of all humanity. You see, all people everywhere fit into this category, whether they realize it or not. By nature, all people are sinners And as sinners, all people are separated from the light and from life. So as sinners, we wander. That's what we do. We wander around. As the old song from the 70s say, we're looking for love in all the wrong places. We're searching for things that we hope will satisfy us. We're looking for something that will give us the next bump that we need in our lives. We keep looking and we keep looking and when it doesn't fill us up and we get dissatisfied, then we go to the next thing and we hunt that out and then we go to the next place and we hunt that out. We continue to wander and search as we continue to come up empty every single time. But the good news is is that when sinners will finally come to the end of themselves and they will call upon the Lord, he will come and save them. He will come and deliver them. He will do it. Listen, when when this group of lost and wandering nomads called upon the Lord, he immediately delivered them out of their distresses and led them in the straight way into a place of safety and provision. This is what I want you to know. If If you're here this morning and you feel lost, Jesus says to you, I am the way. If you feel empty and hungry, Jesus says to you, I am the bread of life. If you feel thirsty to know God, Jesus says, I am the living water. If you feel exhausted and weary, Jesus says, I will give you rest. To get help from God, what you must do is come to the end of yourself. Realize that you are lost. Give up all of your own efforts toward trying to find your own way and call out to God. And he will lead you to himself. Now, what I want you to notice is that the psalmist reiterates what the, the proper response is. For those of us that that is our testimony, that I once was lost, but now I've been found. For if that is your testimony, notice the response, verse 8. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. I use this in the first service. I'm going to use it here. I go off script for a second. You know, I've ate a few Snickers bars in my life. (laughs) I don't know if you can tell that or not. And for those of you who were here last week, let me tell you this. Snickers bar goes really good with hot coffee. But that's another story (laughs) for another time. Snickers has that phrase, that selling point that they use. Snickers satisfies you. And you know what it does? Temporarily. Jesus does not offer satisfaction like that. His phrase that I will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart are not meant for you to understand that they will only be there for a short period and then you're going to get depleted again and then you're going to go have to go look somewhere else. No, when Jesus comes in to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart, when you come to the end of yourself and you recognize I've got no place else to turn, except to Christ. You know what he promises you? He will satisfy the deepest yearnings and longings of your soul in such a magnificent way that you will never leave him hungry or thirsty or unsatisfied ever again. That does not mean that life is always going to be easy. It does not mean that he's going to take care of every little foible that comes into your life. What it does mean is that he will be that which totally satiates you, not only now, but for all eternity. Amen. Yeah. That's the kind of group of people that ought to come before the Lord with nothing but praise and thanksgiving on their lips because those are the kind of people that he redeems. He redeems and he saves lost and weary travelers like you and me who need a guide. Then let's look at the next group. They begin in verse 10. Notice this second group that he describes. He says, those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble." And he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of the bronze and he has cut the bars of iron in two. The second group that we learn about here whom does the Lord redeem? Well, the Lord frees prisoners bound by sin and facing death. The Lord frees sinners bound by sin and facing death. The first three verses describe this group of people who were in prison. They were bound. They were waiting death sentence to be carried out against them because they had rebelled against God and the words of His counsel. And that accurately really describes the, the nation of Israel that, that had been taken into captivity at this point. It was because they had not listened to nor had they obeyed the words of the prophets that the Lord had sent to them. And therefore God used the rulers of foreign nations to, to come and to drag these people of Israel off into slavery and to punish them. And as helpless and hopeless as that first group that we just looked about was, it was wandering around and couldn't find a place to shelter. This group of people is, is, is equally bad. But then notice what happens in verse 13. They cry out for help. And when they cry out for help, the same exact thing that we saw with the first group happens with this group. The Lord, according to verse 14, brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains. Amen. You see, they were in darkness. Now they're brought into light. They had been shackled. Now they're set free. That's why we love singing that song, isn't it? My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. That's why we love that song because we identify with this group of people. I want you to know every person in this room can identify with them. Because we we are all sinners by our very nature. We're bound, we're enslaved by sin. And because that's true, we stand condemned to death and eternal separation from the Lord of light and life. And since the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden, humanity has been cursed by its own sin. But the good news is that those who will cry out to the Lord to save and deliver them from their bondage will experience immediate and sure redemption. And to the many of you in this room who have been ransomed from your chains, you've been set free. From the penalty of sin and from the chains that once bound you. The psalmist says once more, there is only one appropriate and proper response. According to verse 15, that you will give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for the wonderful works to the children of men. Why? Because he's torn down the gates. And he's broken the bars that once held you. So that's the testimony of the second group. Let's look at the third group, beginning in verse 17. Verse 17. Starts out wonderfully. Fools. Because of their transgression and because of their iniquities were afflicted, their soul abhorred all manner of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. This third group of people, listen, who does the Lord redeem? Well, we learn here that the Lord heals the sick due to their own sin. He heals the sick due to their own sin. Now, I want you to know, sickness doesn't always come into our lives because of our own sin. Sometimes it does. Here you get a picture of people who are, who are sick because of their own sinfulness. In fact, in some respects, when you get down to the middle, you can even, in verses uh, verse 18, kind of gives the impression of someone who, is, who has turned from God. And, and it's almost like a picture of an addict in a way that they abhorred all manner of food and they drew near to the gates of death. As one has put it, this word fool there to begin with, it's not referring to a mentally deficient person. It's referring to a morally deficient person. He's not talking about an unintelligent individual here. He's talking about a rebellious individual. And that rebellion will ultimately lead a person into a place where, where it, the rebellion will take a toll on their body. Often emotionally, sometimes physically. In verse 18, that, that verse just gives us an indication of just how difficult that can be when, when our rebellion leads us into sickness of all kinds. They drew near to the gates of death. It was only then, notice, it was only then when they got to that point that they were willing to turn to the Lord. Do you realize, do you realize that it is God's grace and it is His mercy in your life that lets you come to the end of your rope? That He will often allow you to go down to the very end so that when you've exhausted all of the things that you thought were going to bring the the happiness to your life, the things when you ignored what God had told you and you kept going down the road that he said don't go down and you continue to do it, it is only then when you get to the end that God then says, call out to me. Come to me. Amen. And that's when it happens. That is God's grace. You may think of it in terms of, of God just doesn't care. He doesn't love you. No, God's love is often demonstrated towards you in letting you come to the end of yourself so that you can see exactly what you need in Him. And that's what happens here. And it's then that they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, verse 19. And He saved them out of their distresses. He sent His word. What did He send to them? He sent them His word. He sent them his holy scriptures. The pages of scripture have all of the details that are there to bring about healing to the distresses and the sicknesses of our bodies. I don't mean that it tells us exactly how a surgeon is supposed to operate to fix an issue. What I mean is the maladies of our souls. The scriptures have every answer that is needed for that. And it is all found in Jesus Christ. Listen, you may think to yourself, you don't know how far I've gone, preacher. You don't know what all I've done. You don't know the depths of the sin to which I have engaged. You're right. I don't know. I know the depths of my own. Here's what I do know. If you think that you have gone farther than the grace of God can reach down to get you, you have not searched the scriptures. And he sends his word to you this morning. He sends his word to you in your distress and in your sickness so that you may be able to hear. God will in no wise turn away one who comes to him in humility and cries out to him from the depths of his heart to come and save him. Verse 21. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works for the children of men. And then in verse 22, it lets us know that we have a responsibility to tell others. It's not just praising in our own mind. We we need to share what God has done for us with other people. It's sharing our testimony. So he says, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Brothers and sisters, we should always be thankful and ready to give a testimony of the grace and mercy that Jesus Christ has shown to us. Well, let's look at the last group. The last group begins in verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep, for he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea that mount up to the heavens, and then they go down again to the depths, and their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. The fourth point that you need to know there is the Lord delivers those who are overwhelmed by life's circumstances. You notice here that nothing is pointed back to the individual as having created their circumstances. They just found themselves in their circumstances. They're sailors who are doing what sailors do, going out to sea and sailing, who had their abilities and understandings. These were career men. These are men that knew what it was like to be out on the sea. But notice that it was the Lord who allowed the winds to come and the storms to come that brought them to the high point and then down to the low and then back up. Now, someone like me, you know, I was in the Navy for four and a half years. I would have died if they'd have put me on a ship. I get sick riding from here to Buford in the back of a car. I have to be driving or I get, I get car sick just, just that, that distance. When I read this, I almost get nauseated just thinking about what it would be like just to be on the high wind, high wave, and then drop down to the low and toss to and fro. These were professional sailors, and they were at their wit's end. Some of you in this room are at your wit's end. Because of circumstances that have been brought into your life that you did not sign up for and you didn't think were going to be happening, you feel tossed and turned and blown and moved this way and that way. And life circumstances have thrown you all kinds of curveballs and you're not sure how you're ever going to get through it. That's this group. And I want you to know the same thing happens with this group that happened with the previous three. Those who found themselves there Call out to the Lord. They call out to Him in the middle of their distress. And He brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. I want you to understand this. Every single one of us, you're either in a storm right now, or you've just come out of one, or you're about to go into it. None of us get free passes on storms for very long. They're going to come. When they do, we call upon the name of the Lord. Why? Is it because He is our our divine Santa Claus that gives us everything we ask for? No. Because we are declaring just simply to Him that He is our God and He's sovereign over everything. He's the omnipotent one. He has power over all. And He is the only one who can calm our storms and help us see things the right way. And He can bring about peace in our lives, not necessarily in the way that we had hoped because He doesn't always take away the trouble that we experience, but he allows us to see him who is the one who redeems us and pulls us through it, and he is the one that we go to when we're overwhelmed. If you're overwhelmed, turn to Jesus. Now, all of those are the four groups that the psalmist writes about. And those who have been redeemed, then he tells us, those are the ones who have been saved Those are the ones who have been freed. Those are the ones who have been healed. And those are the ones who have been delivered. And those are the groups that make up the redeemed. And the redeemed are the ones who are to praise God and to give thanks to him. And it says, let him, in verse 32, let him also exalt the Lord in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. And that is what we have come to do this morning. We are in the assembly of the people. We are in the company of the elders. We are in the the public place of worship. And we come around the table of the Lord to give glory to the Lord Jesus, the only one who can save us. And that brings me to my sermon in the sentence. Because we have been saved and freed and healed and delivered, we who are redeemed should always be thankful and ready to give testimony to the Lord's grace and mercy. If that's your testimony this morning, that you have trusted Jesus and in Him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for the fulfillment of all of His promises, and if it is the intent of your heart to follow Him as Lord and obey His commandments, then you are invited to partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. If, on the other hand, honestly, with yourself and before God, you cannot affirm those things, then I urge you not to partake but rather to allow this time to be a time of testimony to you as the church uh, observes this ordinance together. I want you to know the Lord's Supper is not for perfect people. The Lord's Supper is for saved, freed, healed, and delivered people, people who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, who are thankful and ready to give testimony to the Lord's grace and mercy. And that is what this time is for this morning.